Today on the Matt Wall Show, as more school boards across the country adopt radical pro-transgender policies, it's time that I think we take a step back and trace the roots of this madness. We know that our country has gone insane and that the insanity is being especially foisted upon our children. But how did we end up this way? Where did it begin? Who did it begin with? Today, we'll discuss the two men who started it all. Also, doctors in Florida walk out of the job in protest against patients who aren't vaccinated. And the government has investigated itself and decided that it, it, it didn't do anything wrong when Ashley Babbitt was shot in the Capitol, though they still won't tell us who shot her. So that sounds perfectly fine. And a viral trend has people suffering devastating head injuries while trying to climb milk crates. It is very hilarious. I mean, troubling. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the revolutionary new social movement called Lying Flat, in which people just lie around all day doing nothing. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. This month, following a summer full of argument and contention over the issue, the Loudoun County School Board in Virginia voted to adopt one of the widest reaching and most permissive transgender policies in the nation. Upon this decree from the seven perverts on the board over the protests of the two normal rational people, it was a seven to two vote, uh, males will now be allowed in the female bathrooms and onto female sports teams and vice versa. But the policy goes even further than that, as teachers and faculty will be mandated to refer to students by their preferred pronouns. Now, given that the preferred pronoun of a gender-confused child can change on a daily, if not hourly, basis these days, teachers will have to spend, I guess, an exorbitant amount of time keeping up with their students' ever-evolving sense of self or face unspecified consequences, though we can easily imagine what the consequences will be, as we need only look to the example of Loudoun County physical education teacher Tanner Cross, who was suspended after stating at a school board meeting that he will not call students by pronouns that don't al align with their biological sex. So he, he merely announced his intention to use proper pronouns, and for that he was suspended. Now, a judge eventually ruled that Cross had, had to be reinstated because the school violated his First Amendment rights, and of course it did. But the district is appealing the decision because nobody who recognizes and respects biological reality is welcome in their schools, they have declared. Even the gym teachers have to toe the line. Of course, Loudoun County is far from the first and, and even farther from the last school district to codify this insanity into their handbooks. Nearly all schools, public and private, are caught up in this cultural tide, and they have the media helping them along. Indeed, the CNN article about the Loudoun County decision contains the sort of paragraph that we're accustomed to reading these days, but would have seemed bewildering and shocking had it appeared in a mainstream news article even just eight or nine years ago. CNN reports this. Let me read from their article. It says, Advocates have called biological sex, quote-unquote, an oversimplistic and misleading term that refers to the sex as listed on students' original birth certificates. While sex is a category that refers broadly to physiology, a person's gender is an innate sense of identity. The factors that go into determining the sex listed on a person's birth certificate may include anatomy, genetics, and hormones, and there is broad natural variation in each of these categories. Oh, biology is misleading, they say. We are already past the days when only gender was considered fluid. Biological sex now finds itself on the spectrum as well. This is the message, as we know, not only from the news media and the state and school systems, but from the shows and films our children watch at the youngest ages. Every week, it seems, another formerly beloved children's program decides to repackage itself as an agent of sexual indoctrination. The latest in line is the kids' musical group, The Wiggles. 
Now, originally this group is from Australia, but it has fans all over the world, including my own children. Though that will change now. They are no longer fans of the Wiggles and will never watch another Wiggle thing ever again. Uh, and the Wiggles have, have been around for decades and mostly produced a, a bunch of silly and frankly kind of annoying songs about fruit salad and various marine creatures and so on. But this week, the Wiggles unveiled a YouTube show called Fruit Salad TV with a newly expanded cast of what they say are diverse and inclusive characters. One of the additions is a non-binary unicorn who uses they-them pronouns. Here's the Wiggles pirate, Captain Feathersword, introducing the gender-fluid character to the kids. There's one last friend that loves to be around the SS Feathersword. Now, here they come right now. It's Shirley Sean the Unicorn. And Shirley Sean has their own boat. <laughs> Whoa! Ahoy there, Captain! Scrumptious! That's what Shirley Sean likes to say. Scrumptious! <laughs> Scrumptious. All right. Has their own boat. You can tell how unnatural it feels for this guy. I mean, the guy dressed up in the pirate suit as well. He looks like he's in his 60s or something. And, uh, but he's going along with it. You can always tell with these people when they, when they, it, it feels wrong to them, but they're doing it anyway. Uh, and they did clarify, the Wiggles did clarify that uh, this was not Captain Feathersword having a stroke and, you know, using the wrong words. No, he, he, he used their intentionally, they, them, because this is a non-binary unicorn. They were, they were, they clarified that very clearly. Now, I think we make two critical mistakes when we see how this agenda has infiltrated every area of society, especially those areas that children happen to occupy. The first is in thinking that we've reached the bottom and it can't possibly get worse. It can and it will. The second is in thinking that all of this madness began a few years ago with roots that trace no further back than perhaps sometime during the Obama administration or something. Both of these assumptions are wildly wrong. In fact, we need to understand that the left sexual agenda is not making its way down to kids now as a matter of happenstance or because we've suddenly reached that point on the slippery slope. On the contrary, this agenda was designed from the very beginning to prey upon corrupt and destroy children. This is all by design. Kids have always been the target. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is the truth, and I'll prove it. What we're witnessing now in schools and in children's entertainment is the culmination, or maybe I should say continuation, of a plan that was hatched decades ago. It was always supposed to go this way. Kids have been in the crosshairs from day one. The sexualization of children is not a logical extension of this agenda. It's one of its central points and purposes. Nearly everything the left says about gender and sexuality today, nearly everything that's taught in schools, implanted into young minds by non-binary children's characters and so forth, can be traced back specifically to two men about 70 or 80 years ago. Now, of course, no bad ideas can really have a definitive start date or birthplace. The person who comes up with the idea was always influenced by someone before them, and that person by someone before them, and on and on and on. Back to the Garden of Eden. Um, I say that all this began with two men, but I mean, you could go back to the 19th century with Sigmund Freud or his successor, Wilhelm Reich. Uh, there are a number of men, and they are almost all men, by the way, who could lay claim to the title of father, godfather, grandfather, maybe grand uncle of the sexual revolution. Still, I think it's indisputable that we would not be where we are today without the contributions of Alfred Kinsey and John Money. Now, you've heard me talk about John Money before. He was the, just a review, he was the psychologist who 
first invented concepts like gender identity and gender role. Those terms didn't exist. The concepts didn't exist before him. He also coined the term sexual orientation. Um, Money was the first or among the first to identify gender as a human category distinct from sex. That didn't exist before the era of John Money. There was only sex, and then gender was a linguistic term. It was Words had gender. Uh, The idea that people have a gender was a new thing that he helped to pioneer. He believed that your self-identification as either a man or woman was determined by society. These were artificial constructs by his telling. If it sounds like the modern left has taken money's ideas and just turned them into religious gospel, unchanged, one which may not be questioned or criticized, that's because that's exactly what they did. Almost everything they take as self-evident about gender was theorized by one single guy named John Money. Problem is that he never proved any of this, though he did try. When a little boy named Bruce Reimer suffered a botched circumcision, effectively destroying his penis, uh, John Money recommended that his parents raise him as a girl, because why not? Gender is a social construct. The parents went along with the plan, and all the while they brought Bruce and his twin brother Brian to Money's office for regular uh, sessions. And during these sessions, John Money forced the boys to simulate sex acts on each other. Um, He had them take off their clothes for genital inspections, quote-unquote, as he called them. He photographed the boys naked. And Money called this childhood sexual rehearsal play. Money was, unsurprisingly, an apologist for pedophilia and had stated that a loving, quote-unquote, sexual relationship between a man and a boy should not be considered immoral. You know, that's perfectly legitimate, he said. Now, long story short, and you know the longer version if you've heard me talk about it before, the female identity did not take hold for Bruce. He eventually figured out the truth. He reverted back to being a boy, which is what he always was. And both he and his brother lived damaged and traumatized lives, and unfortunately brief lives, until his brother Brian committed suicide by intentional overdose, and Bruce, a couple years later, uh, went to a grocery store parking lot with a sawed-off shotgun and shot himself in the head. Now, you may think it can't get worse than that story, and perhaps you're right, but Alfred Kinsey gives it a run for his money. Kinsey uh, had died and gone to hell about 10 years before money began his sexual experiments on Bruce and Brian Reimer. But he paved the way, not only for money, but for the sexual revolution and for nearly everything your kids are taught in sex ed in school today. And nobody denies that, by the way. Nobody denies or debates his influence. It is undeniable. Though they prefer not to discuss his life or his work in any great detail because the details are downright ghastly. Kinsey was originally a zoologist. Uh, He specialized in some kind of wasp, I believe. He took an interest in studying human sexuality, primarily, as we know now, in order to justify his own degenerate lifestyle. He was, and this wasn't known until decades after he died, he was a sadomasochistic freak who enjoyed, among other things, and I'm sorry to tell you this, shoving toothbrushes bristle-end first into his urethra while strangling his genitals with a rope. Now, sorry for the graphic details, but it's actually important context for understanding the man and his work. And you live in a world that was largely made by this guy. So you should know something about him. He released a book called Sexual Behavior in the Human Male in 1948. It was a sensation at the time. Almost single-handedly reshaped the way Western society views sexuality. Through his research, um, as detailed in the book, Kinsey purported to show that sexuality is is fluid. Um, That things like homosexuality and bisexuality are extremely widespread. He even said that bestiality is relatively common. He claimed that nearly 20% of boys who grow up on farms have sex with animals. He said that nearly 10% of all men everywhere 
have sex with animals or have at least at one point in their life. He also claimed that nearly half of adult men um, have had uh, at least some kind of sexual contact with another man at some point. What he didn't mention or tried to downplay is that he arrived at these conclusions by interviewing mostly a bunch of prisoners, male prostitutes, and sex offenders. And from this sample of prisoners, sex offenders, and male prostitutes, he drew sweeping conclusions about the sexual behavior of all men everywhere. And society adopted those conclusions as fact. And you will still hear them repeated as fact. You will still today, if you were to ever sit in on a, on a sex ed class, you will hear statistics from that book repeated today. And that's far from the worst of it. Kinsey was very interested in showing that children are sexual from birth. He was very interested in this. Uh, there's a graph in his report. And he also had, he was a, there was this sexual behavior in the human male, and then later he came out with a sexual behavior in the human female, and together these books are known as the Kinsey Report. In the Kinsey Report, there is something called Table 34, and you should remember Table 34, because it documents, as he puts it, and you can look this up online, as he puts it, it documents examples of multiple orgasms in pre-adolescent males. He then lists children as young as five months old, yes, five months old, newborns. And he claims that these babies and toddlers and young children had multiple orgasms over the course of several minutes or hours. He claims, for example, that an 11-month-old child had 14 orgasms in 38 minutes. Now, where did he get this uh, data? How does he know this? And why are the times so specific? I mean, 38 minutes? Well, he interviewed pedophiles who sexually tortured young children and timed the abuse with stopwatches and took notes. Now, Kinsey claims that he didn't put them up to this, that uh, you know, they decided to use a stopwatch and take notes on their own, I guess. That's obviously a lie. Even if it isn't, the fact that he dispassionately and even approvingly documented the rape of children, never reported any of the abusers to the police, and published his findings in an effort to prove that children are sexual and therefore sex between adults and children is not unnatural or immoral. You know, that fact alone is enough to condemn this whole thing to the dustbin. This is the man who, again, your child's sex education program is based around. This is a man who sent sex offenders to rape children with stopwatch, to time it with stopwatches and take notes. And then he would sit down with these monstrous child rapists and record everything they told him. And then send them back to those babies to abuse them some more. Uh, his, his research institute, the Kinsey Institute, is still operational and still receives tax money to this day. Most importantly, his ideas live on in the minds and from the mouths of leftists in positions of power and in all areas of life, especially in schools and media and Hollywood all across the country. This stuff is not targeting our children by accident. The men who invented this sexual movement always intended this. It was their goal from the beginning to sexualize children, to tear down every law and every moral code which shields children from predations of adults like themselves. These were mad scientists, pedophiles, monsters, quacks. This is the culture and the world that they established and which the modern left continues to build and which we must, therefore, destroy. Now let's get to our five headlines. 
If you guys know one thing about me, you know that I care deeply about VPNs. I've got long, a lot of really strong opinions about VPNs, and that's why I can tell you ExpressVPN is the best VPN there is. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us have very little choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers, uh, data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data to other big tech companies or advertisers. To prevent ICP, uh, ISPs from, from seeing my internet activity, I protect all of my devices with ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? Well, it's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. And that gives you the privacy that you deserve and have a right to. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button, and you're good to go. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep my private, uh, my activity online private. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh to get three extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to learn more. All right, you know, I'm pretty uh, upset about this. This woman, Allegra Kirkland, sister of, uh, I suppose, sister of Benadryl Kirkland, she's an editor for Teen Vogue, and she tweeted something out. She said, um, I'm looking for more people who can write sharp, timely op-eds on U.S. politics for Teen Vogue, especially as midterms start. Rates start at $250, and then she gives her uh, email. So she's looking for people to, you know, submit. And so I responded saying that um, I'll write, I'll do it for free. I'll write you some articles for free. You don't have to pay me. In truth, I would pay you. I'll pay you $1,000 to let me publish in Teen Vogue. And that's how badly I want this opportunity. And I really do. And then shortly after I tweeted that response to her saying, I'll, I'll do it for free, she deleted her, her original tweet. She took down the help wanted ad because I responded to it. So I guess that is, that's my response. That's her way of saying no thanks. Or maybe I'm, I'm so good, I'm so fit for the job that she said, we don't even need any more submissions. He's our guy. Um, I guess I, I have that effect on uh, potential employers sometimes, I suppose. All right, now let's, we'll, we'll start with this. Doctors are now walking out of their jobs because of unvaccinated people. Here's a report from uh, MSNBC. This is in South Florida, where doctors are walking out in protest because of all these dirty, uncleaned, un, unclean, unvaccinated people. Uh, let's watch this. Just moments ago, more than 75 doctors staged a walkout to protest the number of COVID patients coming to the hospitals who have not been My vaccinated. God. The thing, hey, let, let's bring in Kerry Sanders, because Kerry, you're in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, at this doctor's walkout. Kerry, what, what, and I know the area very well, what Americans don't understand is for every unvaccinated person that's filling up an ICU bed, that means with a hospital's jam, somebody with a heart attack, and I've known somebody in this position, goes there, has trouble getting in, can't get treatment, can't get a bed. It is a nightmare for the doctors. It is a nightmare for the nurses. And to the doctor's uh, point of view, it's worse yet for sick people that want help from them. 
That is truly reflective of the frustration that you see behind me as these doctors have gathered, some coming off their shifts to come out here, gathering to try to tell people, please, first of all, ignore the nonsense and the absurdities that you're hearing people say at public meetings and recognize the value of what a vaccine will do. Ignore the nonsense, they say, as they walk out in a political protest while on the job. They're worried about nonsense. You see them all. You can see them all in the, all in the background there, heroically, stoically standing there, refusing to do their jobs, uh, at least for the time where they're, while they're standing out there in this, in this stunt. And we're seeing this from, we've talked about it already last week. We've, we're seeing this from doctors more and more. Uh, there was the doctor in, I think it was Alabama, who uh, put, put a, a sign on his door saying, I'm not seeing any unvaccinated patients. Uh, then, you know, every day when you go on social media, you see more doctors. There was this doctor who tweeted out, uh, Natalia Selenkova, who is a medical doctor. She said nearly 100% vaccinated medical residents are taking care of nearly 100% unvaccinated COVID patients. Does it seem fair? It's not fair. And so this is what we're, we're getting from a lot of doctors. It's not fair. We don't want to do it. We don't want to take care of these patients. Let me say a couple of things here. First of all, uh, and I, I, I'm going to try to put this in as gentle a way as I possibly can, as is my way to be gentle. Stop whining, you damned babies. Stop whining and do your job. Is it fair? Do we have to? It's not fair. Yeah, it's fair. You're a doctor. They're sick. That's what you signed up to do. That's what you're getting paid to do. You're paid handsomely. All those people standing in the background in that MSNBC report, they're all paid very well. Dr. Natalia is paid very well, very handsomely uh, uh, compensated for their job, which is fine. I think doctors should be paid well. I, I'm, if, if I'm, you know, when I was lying down for my Achilles surgery a couple of years ago, I was happy to know that the guy who was performing the surgery and who would be, you know, cutting open my body while I'm asleep, I was happy to know that he's a, he's a well-paid professional. But part of getting paid to do a job is that you do your job. Stop asking everyone to pity you for it. Stop asking us to feel sorry for you. If you don't want to do the job, then quit. Quit and do something else. If you really don't want to do it. It's not fair. Yeah, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic, as we're constantly told. And so there's a lot of sick people out there and you got to take care of them. I, I could feel sympathy for you if you weren't begging for it so much. I can easily feel sympathy for people who are not. But the thing is, when you start demanding sympathy and begging for it, that's when the sympathy evaporates, at least for me. I can't feel sorry for you anymore when you're telling me to feel sorry for you. Just as I can't admire you when you're demanding that we admire you. I can admire the medical professionals who go in and do their job and don't complain and don't record TikTok videos whining about it or dancing um, or, or, you know, aren't constantly begging for attention, but go in and do their job, perform their duties and go home without making a big show of it. I can admire them. Absolutely. I do admire them. So how about that for an idea? Stop whining and do your damn jobs. For God's sake. Also, there, there are so many examples. There, there, if we're going to take this logic and extend it, it's not hard to see where this goes. As many people have pointed out, including myself, you know, what about obesity? They're 
Obesity is one of the number one killers in America right now and, uh, and uh, at, at any point. And, and also, it, that includes a lot of the people who have died of COVID. Obesity kills a lot of uh, many people, many thousands of people on its own. And it's also killed thousands of, it contributed to the deaths of thousands of COVID patients. Because we know that morbid obesity is one of the major red flags. If you come down with COVID and you're morbidly obese, you're, at a, you're in a high-risk uh, situation. So, despite what we're told by the body positive movement, you don't become obese by accident. You're not born morbidly obese. In the vast majority of cases, it, there's no mystery. You become morbidly obese because you're eating a lot of junk and you're eating way too much and you're not getting exercise. And so are we going to say if you have chosen to live that kind of lifestyle, you don't deserve medical treatment? Think about what, the, think about what obese people are doing to everyone's uh, health insurance premiums. How many, even outside of COVID, how many hospital beds are being taken up by people suffering the medical consequences of their own poor lifestyle decisions? Should we refuse treatment to them? Now, the way around this, what you'll hear from people on the other side of this issue is they'll say, well, it's totally different because obesity is not a communicable disease. So it's, it's not analogous. It's different. Yeah, I know it's different, but that's why it's an analogy. Okay, in order, in order to make an analogy, two things have to be different. If they're exactly the same, then there can be no analogy. This is a confusion that I think stems back, by the way, for, to the phrase, uh, you know what? That's apples and oranges. You can't compare that. No, apples and oranges, you absolutely can compare. They're, they're very similar, but they're different. In fact, in principle, you can't compare an apple to an apple because it's exactly the same thing. It's like you can't compare the number four to the number four. Anyway, um, yes, it, so obesity and COVID are different things, but there are comparisons you can make. It's not a com communicable disease, but it is still a choice that someone makes to be that way. And um, it's a, it, it, it's a, and that has consequences that that they suffer and that society must suffer. And many hundreds of hours are spent by medical professionals over the course of their careers dealing with obese people who, again, are suffering the consequences of their own decisions. So why shouldn't we refuse treatment to them? But if you're hung up on the communicable disease aspect of it, then okay, how about this? Let's put obese people to the side. What about uh, a so-called sex worker, otherwise known as a prostitute, we call them sex workers now, a so-called sex worker who has uh, an STD or, or uh, someone, uh, a porn star, somebody who's an, someone on OnlyFans, at least until they get rid of the porn in a couple of weeks. Uh, what about someone like that? The porn star or, or prostitute, a quote-unquote sex worker, has STDs. Should we refuse medical treatment to them? An STD is a communicable disease. STDs have killed millions of people. And they cause untold death and destruction and, and misery and suffering all across the world. Uh, and these people have gotten STDs by their own lifestyle decisions, by their own choices. So why don't we refuse treatment to them? That is an almost exactly analogous situation. Someone who has a communicable disease that was brought on by their own lifestyle decisions. 
But something tells me that if a doctor were to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to treat any more sex workers because I'm tired of, I'm tired of these sex workers coming in here when they got the herpes and chlamydia and they have HIV and all these things, and, they, and they've got it because they've chosen to live this way and to have sex with 15 people, different people every day, and I'm not going to treat them anymore. I don't want to deal with this. Something tells me that all the people applauding these these doctors right now who are walking out of the job, every single one of them, without exception, would be condemning that doctor and saying, how dare you? This is your job. Treat these poor, these poor prostitutes. Something tells me. I think I'm right about that. All right, next, this is from the Daily Wire. It says, the Capitol police officer who shot protester Ashley Babbitt was found to be acting lawfully and in line with department policy and will not face internal sanctions, the Capitol police said on Monday. The Daily Wire reported Friday that the officer who shot Babbitt as she entered the Capitol Speaker's lobby through a broken window was formally exonerated after the Capitol Police conducted an internal investigation according to an internal document. The internal Capitol Police investigation represented the latest such open investigation into the circumstances surrounding the 35-year-old Trump supporter's death. A memo on the matter obtained by NBC News said that uh, no further action will be taken in this matter, meaning that the officer who will not be named will not face discipline. Uh, The Capitol Police unveiled the report itself on Monday. Officials said they had interviewed multiple witnesses and reviewed video and radio calls as part of the months-long probe. Hmm. So, radio calls that we haven't heard. Uh, Video. We've seen a couple of videos that were taken by people in the crowd. Cell phone video. I'm going to assume that the Capitol Police looked at security video. The security cameras all over the place in that building. We haven't seen those. We haven't even been told the name of the person who did this. And they say now, as they've said all along, that they're not going to tell us the name. They're not going to release the name because of uh, because of threats. And I could respect that. And I would be fine with that. If not for the fact that every single time there's a shooting that BLM is upset about, we find out the police officer's name right away. And it doesn't matter if there's threats. I mean, you can have some of the most prominent, famous, visible people in the country, LeBron James, uh, making threats and doxing the officer, putting his, putting his, uh, his image out there. And still, they're going to give us all the information that is demanded about that officer. Just like they did in that case, in the Micaiah Bryant shooting. So if this was a general policy of we're not going to release the officer's name uh, unless they're charged with a crime. But if they're not charged with a crime, we're not going to release their name because of concerns for the safety of their family. And also it's not fair to them because if, you know, if it turns out that the shooting was justified, it's not fair that now that their name is out there and they got to live in fear for the rest of their lives because of this. Um, I could respect that. If that was the policy, but it's not. Because again, in every other case, at least if BLM is upset, we find out the officer's name. This is the only case that I can think of in recent memory where there was a police shooting that was uh, controversial and they didn't tell us the name. And it just so happens it's the one shooting that BLM is not only unconcerned with and doesn't care about, but they're actually happy about it. They're cheering it on. They're happy that this woman died because she's white and, uh, and they don't agree with her politics. And as we've known all along, BLM couldn't possibly give 
less of a damn about uh, about police shootings. It's not that's never been what this is about. So that doesn't work. Um, but we're supposed to, I guess, move on now because the Capitol Police, without showing us any of the video, without giving us any of the information that they have, without letting us us hear from the witnesses that they supposedly talked to, and without even telling us the name of this person, they have looked into it and they said we didn't. The Capitol Police have decided that the Capitol Police didn't do anything wrong. Well, that's it then, I guess. I mean, if the Capitol Police, if the Capitol Police say they didn't do anything wrong, then I guess they didn't do anything wrong. And again, all of these, all of the people who who normally hate the police, to say that they distrust the police would be a massive understatement. I mean, they believe that that police officers are by and large racist serial killers. And yet in this case, they say, well, if the police say it was fine, then it was probably fine. It's an absolute joke. Um, And at the very least, this man's name should be should be released. And, you know, it's it's the Capitol Police aren't the only ones who know this guy's name. I can guarantee you every single Republican in Congress knows who the guy is. They all know. And they could tell us, but they don't. Donald Trump was president when this happened. He absolutely knows who did it. In fact, he said it. He said he's, he has said that he knows who did it. He's not telling us. So I don't just put the blame on Democrats and uh, and the Capitol Police. It's the same story again with Republicans, going along with the flow, being spineless, gutless jellyfish. When they could come out and say, no, this is wrong. Here, here, you know, th- there should at least be some transparency with this. Here's the man who did this. They could even probably arrange to leak the security footage if they wanted to. That is what Democrats would do. Need it even be said, you reverse the situation here. And this was, it was a Capitol Police officer who shot a, 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 an unarmed BLM activist female you know, because she was crawling through a window and she was shot and killed by Capitol Police. They don't tell us the name. They're not transparent about it. You can guarantee the Democrat Party, they would have that name out there. They would have the footage out there. They would have all the information in the public immediately. Instead, we have Republicans who just sit on their hands and say, well, there's nothing we could do, I guess. That's it. Let's move on. All right, see if you can follow along with this uh, report from the New York Post. It says, some kind-hearted strangers melted the Internet's heart after contributing $4,500 to a waiter who allegedly was stiffed by homophobic customers at a restaurant in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, now, now we, we, we'll show you the, the receipt, the note. So it was a, a bill for $142.95. And then the person, this alleged customer, left $142.95 and then left a note that said, service was good, but we don't tip sinful homosexuals, and sinful is misspelled. Now, we have seen this exact story with almost no changes at all. Um, Dozens of times we have seen this through the years, recent years. Someone doesn't leave a tip and they leave a nasty note. Either it's a a note, uh, you know, it's a... It's an anti-gay or, or sometimes it's a racist note. Usually it's an anti-gay thing. This, this tends to be 
This is a genre where most of the entries are, uh, are purportedly anti-gay. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in every single one of those cases, it's a hoax. Every single one. Has there been yet a legitimate case of someone leaving a nasty note on a receipt and it was real? Um, we're supposed to believe that this is different. No, this is, this is a real one. There are already a number of problems that I think jump out at you. Starting with the fact that this is, this is a genre that is almost always fiction. So that's why immediately there's reason to suspect. There are other problems too. Like, for example, um, this is someone who feels that strongly about it. We're supposed to believe, I guess, this is a, uh, you know, a, a Bible-banging Christian. We don't tip sinful homosexuals. They don't know how to spell sinful, though. That's kind of a little bit of a red flag. And also, they took the time to note that the service was good. So they, they hate this waiter because of their homosexuality, but they love the service, and they made sure to note to put that down in the note. You know, the service was great. We, it was wonderful. But we don't tip you sinful homosexuals. So that's a problem. And also, how did they know that the waiter was a quote-unquote sinful homosexual? Does, does he introduce himself that way? I've never had a waiter do that. I've never been sitting at Applebee's and the waiter comes up and says, uh, hey, I'm uh, Chuck. I'll tell you about the specials today. By the way, I am a homosexual. Okay, here are the specials. I've never had that. So a lot of problems, a lot of red flags, and also just the fact that you know those of us who run in circles with uh, conservative Christians, we just know that nobody is doing this. Nobody. Even if you had someone who was inclined to leave a note like that, that wouldn't, it wouldn't sound like that. That would not be the note. That sounds like a note written by someone who is trying to sound like what they think a conservative Christian sounds like. But this gets even weirder, okay? So that was the note. Uh, going back to the New York Post article, it says, uh, this, is a, a face, this, was, this was put up on Facebook by a guy named Eric Salzweedle. And he wrote on Facebook, to the folks who felt it was necessary to write this hateful note and not tip, don't worry. Me and about 250 other others will cover the tip for you. So he, um, do we have the Facebook post from him? No, we don't. Okay. So this guy, Eric Salzweedle, he runs a, some sort of nonprofit. And this is in Madison, Wisconsin. He's the non, he's a, he runs a nonprofit group called Do Good Wisconsin. And he originally, it wasn't, he was not the waiter. But he got his hands on this receipt from someone. He doesn't say who it was from. Someone. Some, some poor waiter. Some poor homosexual waiter gave him the receipt. He, Eric Salzweedle posted it to his own Facebook page and solicited donations to himself. He put his own personal PayPal and Venmo up and said, hey, everybody, uh, someone left this note for uh, you know, a waiter. I'm not going to tell you who the waiter is. And I'm not going to tell you who left the note. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it's a terrible thing. Why don't you give me money and then I'm going to go to the restaurant and leave a massive tip with your money to that uh, poor waiter. And people did it. People sent him $4,500 and then he did a follow-up uh, Facebook post later saying, claiming that he went to the restaurant and gave the $4,500 to the, to the waiter and he never told us who it was. Anyway, I tracked this um, Eric Salzweedle guy down on Twitter and um, I asked him, I said, uh, I said hey, do, do you have any... I mean, you were soliciting donations to your personal PayPal account based on this receipt. And we don't know who any of these people are. Do you have any proof that any of this is real, that it's not a hoax? Like, how do we know that you're not perpetrating a hoax? Or maybe the waiter perpetrated a hoax against you. I mean, how do we know? 
And it, we, I went back and forth with the guy on Twitter a few times, and you could go on my on my Twitter page and see the back and forth. He, the the, the long and short answer is that he is not going to be pr- providing any evidence that any of this is real. He said, and I'm not making this up. He said he's not going to provide evidence that it's real because I wouldn't believe it anyway, even if he did. Okay, so you you look. I'm I'm naturally a skeptic. I admit it. Uh, you decide for yourself whether this sounds legitimate to you. Eric Salzweedel took a receipt, said, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you who this is from, or he did tell me it was a friend of a friend. <laughs> so his friend has a friend, and then he got the receipt from them. But he's not going to tell the person's name. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who left him. None of that matters. Just g- give him uh, $5,000, and he'll and he'll make it all right. And, and hundreds of people actually said, that, that sounds totally legitimate to me. Even though this story is has been a hoax 100% of the time in the past, and this is actually the least credible-sounding one we've heard yet, I'm going to give this guy my money. My God. But you know what? If you're that stupid, you deserve to be scammed. It's pretty clear to me you got scammed. That's my theory. I don't know for a fact. I think. And uh, you absolutely deserve it. In that case. All right. Before we get to reading the YouTube comments, uh, I got I have this from today. It's a very important story. Probably the most important story that we have today. This is from uh, today.com. They say there's a dangerous new trend going viral on social media. It's called the Milk Crate Challenge. And it first popped up on TikTok and is now making the rounds to social platforms like Twitter and Instagram. Experts warn the unsafe trend, coupled with the overcrowding of U.S. emergency rooms due to COVID-19, could be a disaster waiting to happen. Um, the milk crate challenge calls for stacking milk crates in the shape of a pyramid and successfully walking up one side and down the other. Um, Sean Anthony, an orthopedic surgeon, said the milk crate challenge is very dangerous. We're seeing many orthopedic injuries as a result. Injuries can include broken wrists, shoulder dislocations, ACL, and meniscus tears, as well as life-threatening conditions like spinal cord injuries. Uh, so the doctors are speaking out. They're saying this is very dangerous. But uh, this, is the, this is the trend. It's, it's very bad. It's not funny. I don't approve of it at all. Well, let's just, for educational purposes, we're going to watch one of these. And let's see this guy trying the milk. This is what the milk crate, again, just for educational reasons. Can we play this? Totally, I want, I want you to be educated on the milk crate challenge. I want you to know what it looks like so that you know if, you're, if your children, if your children are stacking milk crates, you know, it's probably pr- pretty good. Into, oh, and then, oh my gosh. That is not. Oh, you landed right on his back. That is a spinal cord injury waiting up. It's not funny at all, though. Um, and uh, I don't approve of it. I'm quite concerned. But let's just watch one more. Again, purely for the sake of, uh, of education. So if you see your children doing this, then that is a big, big red flag. You see the, you see the milk crate pyramid in your yard and your, and your, your kids say, oh, we're just, you know, we're making a, a pretty design. No, 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 no. They're, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Is that guy dead? Okay, he's not dead. It is. It's only, <laughs> it's simply terrible. It's not funny. That is not, don't, please, please, everyone, do not try that. I kind of want to try it. I do, but I won't. I want to try it if, if for no other reason than how funny it would be for me to be going to the emergency room, you know, with 15 broken bones, and I got to call my wife and explain what happened. Hey, babe, I'm going to the emergency room. Uh, I don't have time to get into the details. I was climbing some milk crates. I broke 15 bones. Anyway, there it is. So really, really concerning stuff. 
Let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from uh, John, who says, It's funny that Matt looks like a lumber sexual Portland Democrat with a plaid shirt and beard while being a conservative. I also don't look the way people perceive me. More power, bro. I absolutely reject the idea that plaid shirts and beards are now a left-wing signifier. I reject that. I detest it. Can we stop with this? Since when is it a plaid shirt is the most basic? That's not white dad summer. That's really white dad fall, but it's, it's white dad any time of year, really. That's the most basic uniform for a middle-aged dad. And the beard? Now you're trying to tell me that it's some sort of a hipster left-wing thing? I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Forrest says, uh, it's not as simple as, oh, just stay home then. Not everyone can. That's not an option for a lot of people. Yeah, I started the show yesterday saying, if you're still... I, I think it's pretty good advice, and it's a, it's, a, it's a good compromise. If you're still deathly afraid of COVID, uh, that you don't even want to be out in public if, not, if everyone isn't wearing masks, then the best thing you could do is just stay home. You can stay home as long as you want. If you got to go to work, go to work in a gas mask or something. Put on rubber gloves. Otherwise, stay in your house. Let the rest of us live our lives. A number of commenters, including Forrest here, says that's, uh, that's not an option. It's, that's not a good enough solution. Well, again, I said if you're deathly afraid of COVID and are not willing to live normally in spite of it and alongside it, then you can stay home. And if you have to leave your home for whatever reason, then you could take extreme measures. I'm sure you could find a gas mask on Amazon. I mean, the point is you need to do literally everything you possibly can to protect yourself and then and so you can stop worrying about us. Because most of the worrying you do about other people is based on the fact that you also want to basically live a normal life. You see, that's the problem. What I'm saying is you need to decide. Live a normal life and deal with the reality of COVID or hide from the reality. So much of the strife and the anger comes from people who they want to have it both ways. They want to be paranoid about COVID and they want to feel like they're 100% protected from it, but they still want to leave their homes and live normally. And they want all of us to facilitate that for them. Right? It's like Melissa Joan Hart going to Disney World. She wants to be able to go to Disney World. And so everybody else there, they have to dress appropriately and do everything she wants them to do so that she can go to Disney World. It doesn't work that way. It's like I told you about back in, in the winter. I went to uh, the, the, the relatively few times that I was yelled at by someone for not wearing a mask. Uh, I went to uh, my, my family and I we went to a, a Christmas lights display out outside at a botanical garden in Indianapolis. And we were walking along and there was a, we weren't wearing masks and there was a woman who was wearing a mask and she was there too. And she kind of yelled at us for, for, uh, for not having masks on. But my point was, what are you, you're at a botanical garden at a Christmas light display. If you're that worried about it, then what are you doing here? If you think you might die if you encounter someone else outside of the botanical garden at the Christmas light display who's not wearing a mask, then maybe you shouldn't come in the first place. See, this is something that you do. We're all here because we're not that worried about it. That's why we're here. If I thought I was risking my life, I wouldn't be at a Christmas light display. That's why I'm here, because I don't think I am. If you think that you are, if you think that it's risking your life and it's a big uh, concern, then just stay home. Don't go. Leave the rest of us alone. 
And finally, God's Country says, Matt, you're a national treasure. If you wouldn't mind, could you possibly ban me from the show? Well, I'm not a circus clown performing tricks for you, okay? I'm not a dog barking on command. I'm not going to tell you that you're banned from the show just because you demand that I ban you from the show. And for that, you're banned from the show. Very important news bulletin here. If you have not submitted your Sweet Baby Gang anthem yet, then now is your last chance to do it. I know we do these reads a lot where we say, it's your last chance to get this deal. And then it turns out that we're going to tell you about the deal for the next seven, 17 months. But this is different because actually there really is a, a hard deadline here. Submissions end tomorrow, August 25th at midnight, uh, because shortly after we get all the submissions, we're going to have our American Idol style um, competition where we look at all these uh, different anthems and songs that were submitted and we decide along with your help which is going to be the official Sweet Baby Gang anthem so it's very important and uh, there's a great amount of responsibility that lies on your shoulders here and I hope you take it very seriously go to dailywire.com slash sbg to submit your Sweet Baby Gang anthem and if you're looking for an alternative to the legacy media that actually values the truth the Daily Wire Reader's Pass is perfect for you. Just uh, For just $4 a month, you'll unlock exclusive access to editorial content that you're not going to get anywhere else. So if you're tired of the same old stuff you get from the mainstream media um, and uh, you know all of their columns and editorials and everything, it's always the same thing over and over again, and you can't trust anything you read. That's why you got to try the Reader's Pass from dailywire.com. And again, it's uh, only $4 a month. Even better, we sweeten the pot. You can get a free four-week trial when you sign up at dailywire.com slash subscribe right now. So $4 a month, but you'd start with an entire month for free. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now. Let's get to our daily cancellation. I have to confess that I had other plans for this daily cancellation today, but uh, those plans were hijacked when my producer, Sean, sent me this editorial in the New York Times from a woman named Cassidy Rosenblum. Everything from the title to the writer herself to the article all scream for cancellation. I am taken up by the forces of the universe and moved in this direction practically against my will. I have no choice but to cancel, as some great philosopher once said, I'm sure. Cassidy Rosenblum is a, an, an, an unemployed former NPR producer who left her job and moved into her parents' house. Um, now that she's sitting at her parents' house, more specifically lying down at her parents' house, she's decided that, as she says in the title, of the article. Um, Work is a false idol. The piece is about her epiphany, that it's better, more beautiful, more pure, more true to do nothing at all, just lounge around all day. She says that this is a growing trend as more and more people are deciding to model their lives after fungus growing on a dead tree and sit around all day, achieving nothing, contributing nothing of value to society. This is what she writes. She says, quote, in China this April, a 31-year-old former factory worker named Luo Haozhong drew the curtains and crawled into bed. Then he posted a picture of himself there to the Chinese website, Badu, along with a message, lying flat is justice. Lying flat is my sophistic movement, Mr. Lao wrote, tipping his hat to Diogenes the Cynic, a Greek philosopher who's said to have lived inside a barrel to criticize the excesses of Athenian society, of, of Athenian aristocrats. On Chinese social media, Mr. Lowe's uh, manifesto and his assertion that he has a right to choose a slow lifestyle of reading, exercising, and doing odd jobs to get by quickly went viral. Sympathizers shared versions of a belief that it is gaining global resonance. Work has become intolerable. Rest is resistance. So we see that, um, that the Chinese dude's version of lying flat includes doing odd jobs and getting by while devoting more time to reading and exercising. 
This may not be a recipe for professional success, and if you have a family, then you may not have the luxury to make reading and exercise into a major overriding priority in your day-to-day life. But if you don't have those obligations and you're still working to get by, then who can complain? Can complain? I certainly don't. If, you, if that's how you want to live, then go ahead and live that way. Fantastic. The problem is that our friend Cassidy, like many of her American counterparts, are removing a key aspect of this lying flat formula. She continues, It's not just Chinese millennials who are figuring out that work is a false idol. I should know because I'm lying flat too, holed up in my parents' house in West Virginia. Earlier this year, I quit my job producing an NPR program in Boston, and I haven't been able to stomach rejoining the cacophony of the 24-hour news cycle. I'm far from the only one. A recent tweet that proclaimed, I do not want to have a career, racked up 400,000 likes. Instead, proclaimed the tweeter, holla back girl, I want to sit on the porch. Here in the hills, the new silence of my days, deepened by the solitude of the pandemic, has allowed me to observe the state of our planet in the year 2021. And it looks to be on fire as our oligarchs take to space. From the view down here on the carpet, I see a system that, even if it bounces back to normal, I have no interest in rejoining. A system that is beginning to come undone. Now, Cassidy then gives other examples of people who have made the heroic choice to be lazy good-for-nothings. And there are many examples to choose from around here nowadays. That's for sure. And then she closes on a poetic note. She says, quote, In her poem, The Summer Day, Mary Oliver asks, Tell me, what is your plan? Tell me, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? My reply for now is simple. Sit on the porch. It's not half bad. For what is the porch if not a place to chat with neighbors, to marvel at the hummingbird at the feeder, to listen to the wind in the chimes, an altar for cynics, an altar for the erotic, an altar for the future. Okay, let me say, first of all, please do not make your porch into an altar for the erotic, especially not your parents' porch, you weirdo. I can't imagine visiting my parents at their house and saying, hey, mom, I'm just going to go step out on the erotic altar out there for a second. I mean, the porch, sorry. Just don't look out the window for the next few minutes, please. But this is a technicality, I suppose, and and more a question of etiquette than anything else. As for the rest of this tedious, fart-sniffing screed, we need only ask how Cassidy has a porch to sit on or do whatever unspeakable thing she plans to do on it in the first place. And I assume she's not starving while she listens to the wind chimes and watches the hummingbirds. I would also assume that most of her lying flat is done in beds and on couches and other pieces of furniture that someone has to purchase. She is able to be sedentary. She is able to lie flat, dreaming of ways to make her slothfulness sound poetic in New York Times op-eds, all because someone else, namely her parents in this case, have done the work and are doing the work that she refuses to do. See, that's the thing that these leeches always leave out when they're promoting this kind of lifestyle to the masses. They leave out the part where not everyone can live like this. Some of us have to work to keep this whole ship floating. I mean, what happens if everybody lies flat? What if everyone retreats to the porch? What if we all decide to listen to the wind chimes all day? Well, then nothing is produced. Nothing is made. Nothing is paid for. No food is grown or killed. No crops are cultivated. No homes are built. No roads are paved. There's no clothing, no cars, no blankets, no sidewalks. No planes, nobody to fly the planes anyway. No phones, nothing at all. Not even clean water to drink. Everything that you use or consume or depend upon for survival requires work to produce. Everything. 
There are no exceptions. Even the things that are done by robots, well, the robots have to be made by someone. If nobody works, everybody dies. If only some people work, then the people who don't work will die, or else they'll make the working people into their slaves. And Cassidy, on the porch with the hummingbirds, is really advocating the latter option. She wants to do nothing and have you or her parents or whoever, she doesn't care, become her slave. This kind of stuff is either advocacy for suicide or slavery. It can't be anything else. And usually it's slavery. Why can't it be anything else? I mean, why, why can't we just be in a world where nobody has to work and everyone can lay on the porch? Well, because reality is hard and cold and often cruel. We are born into a world that will hand nothing to us. We have many needs and many more desires, increasing number of desires every single day. And the world will not satisfy any of them for us. You have to work or someone has to work to make that happen. In order to survive, you must impose yourself. You must extract what you want and need from the world. You must in many ways battle against nature, against the world, just so that you can live in it. Now, we don't think of it in those terms anymore because we're so comfortable. But we're comfortable precisely because of the work done by others, by our forebears. Our ancestors knew that every day was a struggle, a battle. And work was an intrinsic part of life because they confronted that reality on a daily and hourly basis. We're fortunate enough to live behind certain shields, which allow us to ignore that reality. But it is still a reality. And those shields require work to maintain. They're like a dam holding back a great river, and the river is named reality. An unimaginable amount of sweat and blood went into building that dam, and even more goes into maintaining it. We just hope somebody else will do it. And for now, there is someone else to do it, at least in Cassidy's case. But eventually, as more and more people are convinced that apathy and laziness are not only appealing but virtuous, and more and more people decide to lie flat, we may actually run out of people to repair the dam and fill the cracks. We may not have enough workers to do the work. And then the dam breaks and the cold, icy waters of reality rush in. And all the Cassidy's of the world drown in it. And then she will certainly be uh, lying flat in more ways than one. And also she will be at that point as she is right now. Certainly canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Joe Biden hints that Kamala Harris could be president soon. Ugh. The former CIA chief advocates shipping conservatives to Afghanistan, and doctors in Florida refuse to treat unvaccinated patients. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.